My name is Brooke Prentice and I'm the director of Peace Talks. Uh, and Peace Talks uh, is about political, ethical, artistic and cultural engagement. Uh, and it's a talk uh, that we have uh, once a month on a Thursday or Saturday night. Uh, and so tonight we have a panel uh, talking about can art change the world. Uh, and so uh, it's wonderful to have you all on this uh, rainy and a little bit chilly uh, night, especially for me with my North Queensland blood. Uh, but um, wonderful that you could be here. On your chairs uh, are a few things. You've got the flyer for the next um, three peace talks that take us to the end of the year. Um, so please take that home with you and um, share. You've got the ways that you can follow Peace Talks down the bottom as well. So we've got some uh, pretty uh, cool talks coming up. Uh, tonight we're talking all things creative conversations, which is an incredible event uh, being held at Annandale Creative Arts Centre uh, on the 20th and 21st of September. Um, so there's a flyer for the creative conversations. Um, please take that with you and share it with your friends and your networks. Uh, all the artists that we have tonight have been part of creative conversations or will be part of creative conversations. Uh, and then also, um, I'm a huge fan of this play, which is also happening at Annandale Creative Arts Centre called Speak Easy, um, about the writings and lives of um, Dorothy Day, Dorothy Parker and Dorothy L. Sayers. So um, that's running from the 3rd to the 15th of September. Um, I highly recommend it. I saw a reading of it. Um, please uh, spread it around and consider going. There's a competition for two free tickets um, for Speak Easy on joining the Dots Theatre Companies. Uh, Facebook page as well as at the moment. So they're the, the things that you have around you. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, an acknowledgement of country. So I'm actually an Aboriginal Christian leader as well, a descendant of the Waka Waka peoples, which is one of the over 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples in these lands that we now call Australia. And Waka Waka Nation is in the area around southeast Queensland. So um, I'm going to acknowledge country. And I thought because this was, uh, we've got these incredible artists, uh, and this week I actually appeared on The Drum, ABC's The Drum on Monday night, which you can catch on iview. Um, but I talked about uh, an incredible woman, Ujuru Nunakul, who was the very first Aboriginal uh, person to have a book of poetry published, um, which was in the 1960s, so it took that long. Um, so I thought I'd share one of her poems, um, not the one I talked about on the drum, but another one as part of this acknowledgement of country. I also use my clapsticks, which are made with wood uh, from Waka Waka country, so they help to remind me where I'm from and to keep me grounded as well. <coughs> Together tonight, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of these lands on which we meet and gather and yarn and on which we will talk about art and the power and the transformation work of art. The lands that we meet upon are the lands of the Gadigal peoples. They have been and continue to be stewards on behalf of our almighty creator. And we pay our respects uh, to their elders and leaders past, present, and future, and that paying our respects is a deep thankfulness uh, for the way that they have cared uh, and nurtured and cultivated 
these lands uh, upon which we meet and gather. Uh, and this poem by Ujuru Nunaku is called Artist Son. Uh, and this is what Ujuru said. My artist son, busy with brush, absorbed in more than play, untutored yet, striving alone to find what colour and form can say. Yours the deep human need, the old compulsion, ever since man had mind and learned to dream, adventuring, creative, unconfined. Even in dim beginning days, long before written word was known, your fathers too fashioned their art, who had but bark and wood and the cave stone. Much you must learn from others, yes, but copy none, follow no fashions, no. Art the adventurer, his lone way, lonely must go. Paint joy, not pain. Paint beauty and happiness for men. Paint the rare insight glimpses that express what tongue cannot nor pen. Not for reward, a claim that wins honours and opens doors. Not as ambition toils for fame, but as the lark sings and the eagle soars. Make us songs in colour and line. Painting is speech, painter and poet are one. Paint what you feel more than the thing you see, my artist son, in the words of Ujuru Nunaku. Uh, so tonight I'm going to invite up our artists uh, to come and uh, join us here. We have uh, Helen Wright, uh, and Helen is the Artistic Director of Creative Conversations. Uh, and Helen's going to just uh, explain a bit about Creative Conversations and then share uh, about her work as an artist. Uh, and Helen is also the pastor at Newtown Mission with a background in dance and collaborative performance making. We also have with us uh, Claire Wall. Uh, and Claire is an actor and theatre maker, passionate about creating theatre that gives voice to community and challenges dominant social narratives. And we also have Mary. And Mary's a visual artist who comes from a background of social work, research and art teaching. Um, and this incredible quilt up here uh, is Mary um, Vandenberg's work, um, which she'll talk about tonight as well. So Helen's going to share about creative conversations. Uh, Helen, Claire and Mary will all share about themselves as an artist and their artwork. Uh, then we'll, I will moderate a panel of discussion. Uh, and then we'll open it up to the floor for an open question time. Uh, and then following that, so we'll wrap up um, just before nine and then head back next door to share some supper together. Um, please welcome our artists. Thanks so much for having me tonight and all of us tonight. It's good to be here um, and talking together here on Gadigal land. Um, the story of Creative Conversations, so five years ago, um, the Australian media was full of stories about boat people um, and lots of arguing and rhetoric about um, people arriving illegally by boat, people dying at sea. Um, and I was particularly uh, struck by an article I read by Andrew Hamilton uh, that described why 71% of Australians want boats pushed back. And I was kind of shocked by that figure, 71%. 
Uh, it seemed higher than I thought it should be. Uh, it seemed that people on both sides of politics uh, thought that boats should be pushed back uh, and we shouldn't be welcoming people coming to Australia in that way. What Andrew um, Hamilton argued for in that article was not that that many people thought that uh, because they were evil or uh, because they thought it was a necessary thing to have that kind of border security, uh, but because it was a failure of imagination uh, that uh, the average Australian couldn't imagine um, that it was someone that they knew that was fleeing that kind of terror and uh, needing to find safety. Uh, they couldn't relate to it, they didn't know someone. Uh, they couldn't imagine what that would be like and therefore their hearts weren't stirred and compassion wasn't being uh, expressed. Uh, and so he argued that a, an art exhibition was actually something that might actually change, change people's perspectives. Um, that actually looking at the face of hearing the story of a refugee, they might actually be able to imagine what that would be like. Uh, secondly, he also argued that uh, perhaps we needed to also awaken our imagination that, that perhaps that there was another way to think about this. Um, perhaps there were other types of solutions than the ones that were being presented. Uh, and that perhaps the artist could actually awaken our imagination to other possibilities. That the, that the artist was in the business of creativity and thinking creatively and the, actually the artist could be the people that could start to awaken our imagination for something else. Um, at that particular time, uh, we as a community at Newtown Mission were also spending our mornings in Lent praying, uh, and we thought we were going to, we were praying for um, some direction about a season for us as a local church, um, but continually, partly because of what was happening in the media and something stirring in the community as well, is that we continually found ourselves praying uh, for asylum seekers and what was going on in the nation, um, as well as praying, for praying in response to what was happening for Indigenous peoples in Australia and the brokenness of our land. Um, so there was a spiritual stirring, there was conversation in the media, um, and we had one of the main things that we were doing as a church community is that we had an art centre. And so we started to ask ourselves the question, um, what would the artists have to contribute to these kind of conversations? Could the artists perhaps bring a different perspective? Could, it, could the artists humanise the issues that we were talking about? Um, the artists could tell stories, stir our emotions, uh, engage all of our senses and ask new questions, bring new perspectives, um, help us to imagine new possibilities, but also uh, help, to help to awaken a sense of hope that there were other ways this could be. And so uh, in the midst of that, we started this movement called Creative Conversations and invited uh, artists to come and create new work in response to um, the debates that were going on in politics and in the media around us. Uh, and then since then, uh, we've had around 200 artists. Uh, they've been poets, musicians, theatre makers, choreographers, uh, people who make sculpture, quilting and textiles, paintings, drawings, uh, bringing their voice to conversations around asylum seeker policy, around climate change, around what's happening for women globally, uh, around uh, asking the question, uh, are we being a good global neighbour as a nation? Uh, and asking questions around climate change. Uh, as well as asking artists to contribute their perspective and their voice, uh, the other thing that we've done is we've um, put artists in conversation with what we call experts, people with lived experience of, of those injustices, people working in those sectors and have a perspective of what's going on kind of in the bigger picture of that. Um, and what we found is a richer, deeper engagement with those issues and the artists creating things that um, are happening within that uh, bigger picture perspective.
Uh, and so, yeah, right now we are working towards uh, our next Creative Conversations in September uh, called Creative Conversations Land, yesterday, today, tomorrow. And we've asked artists to think about what is their own relationship with land uh, and to think about land over time, the custodianship of land, land as it's become a commodity, something to be s bought and sold. Uh, how do we care for land into the future, into tomorrow? Uh, so this has been a beautiful journey of inviting artists to add their voice. Um, has it changed the world? Well, it's, it's a bit hard to measure that, but um, I can tell you lots of stories of individuals who have changed their mind, changed their heart, um, and understood more deeply uh, some of these injustices that are going on in the world. So that's Creative Conversations. So that was kind of with my like Creative Conversations director hat on. Um, but I'll just tell you a little bit about the things that I have done as an artist. So I trained in dance and spent many years creating performance works as a choreographer, uh, collaborating with musicians and theatre makers. Uh, so what you have on the screen there is um, part of a show that we made called Millennium 8, which was um, eight short works uh, exploring the Millennium Development Goals. So if you, were, if, you're part of, if you knew of the Make Poverty History Movement, um, this was created around 2008, 2009, and shared all around. Um, they were the UN goals to halve poverty by the year 2015, uh, and we wanted to open up that conversation and help with the Make Poverty History campaign. Um, and so we did hip-hop with masks on. <laughs> um, but it was about, um, you know, humanising the, the faceless statistics was kind of the gist of it. Um, just a few of the things we did in that time. Um, part of the, those campaigns is we'd partner with um, people trying to agitate conversation in the streets about these issues. Uh, and so the next photo is of um, some of us being white statues in various places, which was a fascinating thing to do. Uh, we played a role in... I guess some ways just capturing pe people's attention. Uh, but we had this beautiful story once of um, someone coming up to my husband who was dressed like that and giving them a hug and weeping. <laughs> um, so we were so moved by kind of what was happening there that um, they were affected by it. Uh, one of the things I love to do was create works that were actually tap dance works uh, with no recorded music, so creating live soundscapes, so creating music with sort of body percussion and well, in this case, chains uh, and tap shoes, um, as you do. <laughs> um, but another, I guess, a number of themes that we would pick up were is around um, fair trade and human slavery, and so uh, created works around, lots of different works around that. Um, keep on going. Um, this was part of the first Creative Conversation, so somewhere in there I stopped creating dance and started writing songs. Uh, so I uh, wrote a song for the first Creative Conversations at the time I was... Um, Spending time each week at the Salem Seeker Centre, uh, teaching music and singing songs with people from all over the world. So this was a song kind of sharing a bit of what that meant to sit and sing songs with people and meet people's children and imagine that children just like that were locked up on Manus and Nauru. Um, so that was a, a dance and so choreographed but I presented the song. So the next photo is of that as well. There may be someone in the room in that photo. <laughs> Katrina's the upside down person, I think, <laughs> in that photo. And then, as I said, at some point I stopped choreographing uh, dance and started to write songs, mostly for church contexts, um, songs for worship, and I guess taking some of my passion to see um, things like justice being expressed and 
um, sung about uh, flowed into uh, writing songs for, for church worship. Um, and then one particular song that was part of that project um, called Sister, Why Do You Weep? Uh, wasn't so much a worship song, but a kind of a conversation that expresses a, a conversation and a space to lament and mourn. Um, was a song that I sang with Auntie Lynette Wanganeen, uh, who, um, yeah, I just got to know over a number of years and um, was really moved by the way that she kind of expressed her story and space to weep. Uh, and then this January got to share that song all over the country with um, Bianca Manning through the um, the church services that Arnie Jean and Brooke um, host all around the country for Gen 26. And then Safina Stewart um, painted this beautiful painting to go with that song as well. And then the last photo there is just of Brooke and I recently um, on Waka Waka Country. So we are creating something together for this year's Creative Conversations on Land and uh, I'm writing a song and Brooke some poetry reflecting on um, yeah, I guess my uh, my part of that is uh, my response to listening to Brooke and to have that amazing experience of being on country with her and trying to grapple with what it means to be uh, living on stolen land and what is my relationship to land. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Claire. Um, I trained as an actor in a fairly traditional kind of context, mostly um, training in like realism and um, more straight theatre, Shakespeare, also some devising kind of um, skills, what we learnt. Um, and then I have done sort of independent theatre stuff in Sydney, um, mostly in that kind of realism kind of style, um, done a bit of children's entertainment and touring in that space as well, done a bit of stand-up comedy and writing comedy songs, which I'm sort of getting back into now. Um, but over the last couple of years, um, I've been living in Armadale in regional New South Wales and kind of connecting um, and experimenting more with devised theatre. Um, and there's actually photos of it. Um, yeah, so for my honours project, um, I, I wanted to um, look at our relationship with land and try and find a new way in for us to connect to connect with um, the land and the true history of this land and whose land it is in a really sort of immediate way. And so I worked with people within the Armadale community. So I worked with Rob, um, who's a Camillaro poet. He's there in the the Oka, and we sort of wrote this piece together. But it was by um, listening to people in the community, interviewing people about their connection um, with Armadale as a place. Um, so interviewing um, Aboriginal elders, we had some voice recordings of them within the actual performance. And basically we devised this 45-minute um, immersive outdoor um, experience that um, kind of followed this narrative structure of um, this sort of kind of indigenous concept of land of you know we are one with land from land we come to land we will return and it kind of visited these different um, snippets of stories that we had from the diverse participants within the piece as well so we had um, a lady from Sweden who's been living in Armadale for 30 years and her story was 
about how she goes to the pine forest to, and it reminds her of home and the memories of home that she has. Um, we had Connor, who's over there, talking about <laughs> his, um, his grandparents' house and the memories of that, um, which is in Sydney, and then how that was, um, how he felt when that house was knocked down. And we're sort of using these stories um, with um, kind of like the greater story of, um, you know, cultural genocide and um, s the stealing of land and everything. And it was kind of to try and help the audience connect with what that might be like. Um, yeah, and I guess the kind of pin the kind of darkest point or like the pinnacle of that performance was um, I worked with Rob to write a a poem about the place names around Armadale because there are a number of um, places that are named after um, pioneers and um, colonizers who actually, you know, had murdered Aboriginal people or had treated them terribly, and yet we still have streets named after them, national parks, highways and kind of this um, real sort of truth moment in the piece of like just spoken out over the audience of just like this is where you live and this is the truth of this place that you're in all the time. And every time you see that, that sign, that person is being celebrated and you know, this, this is just the truth of this country. Um, yeah, so that was that piece um, and yeah I've got audience response audience responses that I might use in question four that prove that art changes the world so <laughs> sit tight for that yeah question four <laughs> hi everyone I'm Mary I think I'm live um, I've, as explained before, I came from a background and I was a social worker first and then I worked in human genetics as a genetic counsellor and then I lectured at university and I actually taught statistics and community work and a whole bunch of other things and then had um, spent a lot of years being a parent because we moved around a little bit and came back to my real love which was art and, and well... 2006, I think, I started a Master of Art and Painting at what was COFA and is now UNSW and finished that in 2010 and in that process my brother came to live with us because he was dying and so my art became a lot about him dying, as more about how to celebrate life once, once he had died and I'd promised I'd make a painting of him and I started this whole thing that was called Tribute Art and working with people to create works of art about someone that they've lost and revisiting it basically. But I've tacked off into all sorts of other directions as well and my latest body of work before I became involved in the land um, work was, uh, I live in Potts Point and it was all about sort of the people I meet in my day-to-day -day life and I had a, an exhibition in King's Cross Library with uh, about 30 works that I, they were, they were monoprints first and then they were painted into, drawn into and then I stitched into them. So I've started to get into the stitching thing. So, and that has led to my work in land, which I will pull up and now explain to you. Um, this is the large sort of quilt you can see behind. This is the back one side. This is the front side that I started on. There it is up there too. Now at the time that I got involved with land, 
I had just finished reading Bruce, Bruce Pascoe's book and I was absolutely astounded and shocked at the history that, and I'm sure you probably all know Bruce Pascoe and his work, but it was all about how Aboriginal peoples are not hunter-gatherers or that they were so much more than that, that they farmed the land, they stored the food, they had whole water systems for fishing, they made permanent housing, and he went back and found proof of all of that in what the colonists had, had written, basically, and what the history books had. And this, this image here was actually out of one of those history books, and that's uh, showing the housing. And so I, we had books, you know, we had a whole lot of discussion at the beginning and papers and things that you get a stimulus to respond to. And I remember Brooke saying, you can't use our symbols, you've got to find your own. And so I thought, what would I have been doing if I was a white woman at the time that this history was misrecorded, bad, wrongly recorded? And I thought, I would have been doing needlepoint and I would have been making sampler quilts. So that got me going on the whole tack. And I've managed to upcycle materials to do it. The white that you can see is all off the bottom of Ikea curtains that my daughter had in her house. <laughs> the flowery fabrics came from a neighbour who was an interior designer and she'd thrown out a whole book of samples, so I got all of those. Now, in the middle of each of these is a botanical drawing of an Aboriginal plant that is sustainable, existed a long time. I'm probably going to write a blurb about each of those to go with it as well. So these are all botanical drawings and then I've sat in front of the TV hand stitching them all and getting them into that first format and then creating the quilt. And then the reverse of it, Brooke's been actually very helpful on the reverse. Do you want to flip it over? Because <laughs> it's actually going to have things on top of it and it will hang from the ceiling, hopefully at a height where you can kind of walk around and see both sides. So it's not really a bed quilt and God heaven help if it ever had to go in the washing machine <laughs> that it would fall apart. So, and Brooke and I spent a bit of time talking about this and I loved that slogan about white Australia has a black history because I thought it said it all. But I've also had to be careful that I haven't used the, um, fl the Aboriginal flag as directly as it is because there's all that copyright stuff happening at the moment. So you'll notice this has got a grey background and it's got, it's got the, you know, the Australian flag in here but I've, I've kept the symbols and tried to do that as well. So that's me basically and I was involved in the first Asylum Seekers conversation but I'm going to give you a, I might save that for question four or something to explain too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you uh, so much Helen, Claire and Mary um, for sharing uh, your skills and expertise and um, your amazing stories and uh, creativities. Uh, and so I hope you're all thinking about some questions that we can ask our artists. Uh, but we're going to uh, have a few questions. Uh, and probably um, just with uh, Mary's quilt, uh, if you've taken any photos, please don't post them on Facebook um, and just encourage people to get along to Creative Conversations on the 20th and 21st of September. Uh, where you'll be able to see that artwork um, with others uh, and 
I don't think you told them that my countryman is, is on there, the bunya pine. Exactly. Um, so that's an important uh, plant on Waka Waka country. And so at the mid-process showing, it was... Um, I'm like, oh, there's my uh, country man and woman um, in the bunya pine and the big bunya nuts. So um, it's incredible artwork. And each of you as artists uh, inspire me and very moved by uh, the things that you've been involved in and what you've shared with us tonight. So in advance, thank you very much. So I guess the first question that we had is, can art change the world? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Claire's pre-prepared something there. <laughs> Turn yourself on. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Are you taking the floor there? Mary? <laughs> Ab absolutely. And I actually would like to reference a guy called Irvin Yellum who talks about rippling. And I think that we, whenever we sort of, and I'll explain it more as we get to question four, but I think that we, we ripple, that we, we do things that then that affects other people and it comes from them to someone else. And, the, and art is such a big way of being able to do that because it engages people and, and creates a conversation, basically. I've always thought that's a brilliant name, the creative, co and it, it reaches a bigger audience than just sitting around the kitchen table at home it, it's much broader than that so it's I think absolutely it does mm. Claire? Um, oh, I don't want to bleed into my answer for question two <laughs> <laughs> no I think art changes people and people change the world and I think oh I'm just going to go into question two here oh. um, I think it's art sort of place it can place us within an experience rather than just reading about an experience or reading about an issue, like on a news website or something. Art gives, gives us the opportunity to actually sit within that, feel what that is like, and then empathise more strongly with the people who are actually going through that. Kind of art. I think about this from another perspective as well, by saying that art, art is all around us and changing us all the time, and I think the advertising industry mm. tells us that. So. Um, I always say, you know, artists that are actually getting paid are normally getting paid by big business, business to convince people to buy things. Mm. Um, and so business spend lots of money on getting musicians to create music and creating images that convince us that we want something and that we should buy it and that, that shows the power of influence that the arts actually have on us. And so, you know, if you're watching television or driving down the road or catching a train, you're seeing billboards, you're seeing design, you're seeing um, storytelling, you're seeing all sorts of things that is trying to convince you of something and change your mind about something. And so um, I think the art, that art is changing the world, shaping the world around us, shaping our minds all the time. So the question is, is are we actually listening to and looking at art that is going to change us for the better mm. um, and change us for the things that matter? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I'd I've got other things to say too, but <laughs> they'll come up later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think just even having this conversation, hearing you all share your stories, um, just the emotion, even in me, as we share tonight, you know, Mary, as you shared about your quilts and putting yourself in the position of, like, colonial women, what were they doing? They were doing exactly that. Mm. And I, when I first saw your quilt, I hadn't actually thought about that. So... That's incredible. And then to think about advertising as art, I don't think I'd mm. actually thought about that. So um, there's a question 
I think question seven for me is going to be my favourite. Uh, coming back to question one for Helen, and that's just to keep you all interested in uh, the next questions. Um, so, uh, Claire, you already started to talk about this, and, and feel free, anyone, to jump in and to have conversation with each other as well. Um, but the next question uh, was, what are the unique gifts that artists bring to society, and society being Australia and the world? I think, um, like what I was saying, it's about bypassing just having an intellectual response to something mm. and um, the ability to, to, to yeah, kind of like go past the mind and go straight to the spirit or the soul and change people that way through yeah creating something that makes them feel something different rather than just think something mm. it's ex expressing some an idea in a physical form whether it might be something real that you can touch or whether it might be dance or music or it just makes it more real i think and that's and that's so important mm. we can get it across that way provoke provoking interest around ideas as much as anything and I think that idea of provoking ideas as well as new questions, I think mm. uh, something I was really impacted by, I was listening to Van Anderkop talk about um, the importance of asking a new question in order to actually change your mind about something, like growing up in sort of racist South, South Africa and the way that he grew up as a racist and the, the moment that he, ch he changed his, the course of his life was when he asked a new question he'd never asked before. Mm. Um, and, you know, are my parents right about this? No, and he had never asked that question before, and I think the artist can actually provoke a question that hasn't yet been asked in someone's mind um, if their art is done well. And so that's one of the things that I think the artist can bring. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't one of the numbered questions, uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> off, off and yeah. as you've uh, each just shared those answers, the question that came to my mind is. Um, even over your own lifetimes, have you seen art, and maybe if we refer it to Australia, art or artists change over time? Have you been impacted by the length of time? or You mean particular artists who... Um, or just art in general, like a, as you've journeyed in your lives, have you seen a change in like art as a movement or different forms of art or... <coughs> the conversation from artists about art? You know, because if you're not an artist, you can pick and choose whether you want to engage with art. Absolutely. Right? And so mm. I'm actually a chartered accountant by profession. And, you know, some accountants might go to art galleries. That's probably what we consider art. Like you go mm. to an art gallery and you see a painting. Um, but, you know, you've all expressed different art forms. Um, and so I just wondered, in your own lives, have you seen any changes in Australia? Well, there's definitely like becoming a greater focus on um, having diversity within art mm. and representing diversity mm. and including a diverse range of people in the creation of art, um, which is a really good, you know, change and also one that's difficult to navigate at times. Um, in how, yeah, how do you be really inclusive and how do you, how do you create um, a space where, I guess I'm talking about theatre right now, but mm. like, because there's been some issues, like people being called out, even last year there was a, um, there was like an all-female Shakespeare group that decided to put on this Shakespeare and then every, 
everyone in the cast was white and then it kind of, someone sort of latched onto that and it created this big um, issue and then they're like, oh, but we said, like, we wrote, like, one sentence that said, you know, like, people of all different backgrounds are encouraged to apply and it's like, well, maybe that's not the issue, maybe it's, mm. what, like, what are you actually trying to create here and, and why wouldn't someone from a different background want to be part of that? So I think that's a really interesting kind of change, mm. that's, change that's happening and a good, um, it's, almost like an ex it's almost like a concentrated um, example of maybe what's happening more broadly in society. It's like, well, how do we be an inclusive society and like make this a comfortable mm. open space for people who aren't like us to, to join in? And the, the formats change massively. A lot more video art, a lot more installations, a lot more sort of um, art that you can engage with directly and experience or move through or the, just the whole... And the whole digital thing has changed art as well. You can do so... There are, there's so many more possibilities for... And, 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 but in part of that, painting kind of got lost, but painting's kind of coming back, or painting gets incorporated too. It's just a whole big mix of the whole sort of performance art as well. It's just, I think, you know, it's, it's changed a lot and changing still. There was sort of that phase where it was all video art and that was just absolutely everywhere. And then, then it's become more, it's becoming a bit more eclectic again. But I guess art responds to what's happening in the wider world as well. As we've become more digitised, digitised, it's become, you know, we've, we've picked up on more of those things and we've started to pull it into our art too. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so, when we think about creating an artwork, uh, an art in all its forms, um, I said it needs skill, expertise, training, tools and creativity. Uh, and then when we think about changing the world, I'm interested in what you think are the particular ingredients that you think are needed to change the world. One in particular for me is uh, seeing artists create from a place of authenticity and their, like their own sense of truth. So I think, um, you know, in order for people to kind of engage well, um, that's really important. Um, but I guess on the other side of that too, um, yeah, something that's invitational and, and almost inviting a conversation. So um, a lot of contemporary art can be about shock, which has its kind of place. Um, but often when mm. you're shocked, you actually walk away from engaging rather than step into. And uh, so that's something I've been kind of grappling with in this context of creative conversations is if we want people to, um, you know, engage their heart and mind in a way that they might actually change their mind. Um, an ingredient is also to say, well, there's something in this art that connects to you and your story um, that invites you in to engage with that. There's some thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think um, sensitivity and a deep sense of listening, of listening to, you know, if we're creating something that's kind of about someone else's experience, it's a commitment to listening deeply to that person and being willing to to um, really recognize your own agenda within that and and listening to to what that person or that group of people wants to come out of this conversation and wants the product to be what they need um, like what is helpful to them I guess to the point of being 
being willing to let go of your own agenda um, because I think, yeah, if you're going in sort of trying to channel someone else's experience into this artwork that you want to create, like, that's just going to, yeah, all sorts of problems. So, and, and also within that, like, giving autonomy to other people um, as much as possible to the people, to the subjects of your <laughs> project. Mm. I've, I've said the same thing with a willingness to listen to others and to meet people who are different I just think they're, they're kind of crucial if it's going to be good art that's authentic and I think as um, each of you just shared um, the one that I thought about it's kind of like listening but it's actually taking the time Mm. Um, and as you were talking, I thought about an art installation that I saw once. It was at the Melbourne Museum uh, and uh, the First Peoples exhibition. Um, and so, you know, you go through and you learn all the history about Victoria's Aboriginal people and it's one of the best um, museum experiences I've ever seen. But then they had this, which is a permanent exhibition, Bunjalaka, um, but they had this art installation which was just like, advertised and I'm like, oh, what is it? And it was called Empty Coolamans. Um, and so, you know, as an Aboriginal person, I know that a coolaman is what we carry water in and what we carry our babies in as well. And so I'm like, oh, I wonder why it's Empty Coolamans. And then I walk in and suspended from the ceiling were all of these empty coolamans. And um, it still impacts me today mm. because it's actually representing the stolen generations. Mm. And so a coolaman, when you think about the children that were taken, um, uh, it's like, you know, a baby's cot and all of a sudden they're all empty and to have them suspended from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so I just was, you know, I didn't know what I was walking into and just was stunned. But then I saw all these people coming to the door, having a look and then just turning around and walking away. Such and I'm like, shame. just wait, like yeah. come and yeah. enter this Engage. space. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of more shocking that they were just, oh yeah, okay. And so kind of dismissed it kind of dismissed it as art, but there was a huge historical and emotional mm. and, um, you know, and I didn't have the time, but I was so impacted by it that, you know, I just had to stop and um, pay attention. And so, yeah, which is a listening as well. And yeah, it's quite fascinating. And so that's one of the challenges as artists to actually get people's attention and mm. to get people um, away from screens and engaging with in, in a deeper way. Mm. Uh, I think that's one of the real challenges we have as a culture, that we don't actually value art um, and time in art and, in, and beyond just kind of, oh, I've seen that gallery, like I've seen that painting, but the actual, well, what's the story? Will I actually dwell here? Will I engage here? And so that's, I think, one of our challenges. Mm. How do you think, is that the artist? job or we need to change society? How do you think we can change that? <laughs> I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Is it something you think about as artists? How, well, you obviously would in how to engage yeah. your audience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think, well, I mean, I mean it's part of what Creative Conversations is about. But what's interesting is even just having... Um, a live venue that people are encouraged to come to locally. Like a lot of um, art making is happening at the Opera House and big, big productions, big theatres. Think people will go out 
um, book something big. Uh, we don't so much have a culture of I'll go down the road to, like we have, you know, jazz on a Thursday night mm. and um, I, you know, I say to that crew that run that, that is also changing the world because we're saying to people, come and actually be with people. Here's something created in the moment that's unique in this moment with, you know, with others, experience this together as a community. Mm. Um, you let it stir your soul and sit in your heart and wonder about, you know, what's, what's more in this world, which is a really different thing to watching the latest Netflix series at home and I think, um, mm. yeah, so I think even just, you know, stirring up local um, art in, in not just in the sort of the elite art, but actually as it, we've lost that sense of community art and local art and experiencing art together. And I'd love, I'd love to see more of that stirred up in our local communities. Mm-hmm. And I think um, for me, like I was a little bit involved with creative conversations last year, but being part of the full process this year, um, you know, being invited into that community of artists um, is just so impactful and the conversation and the journey that you take together and also for creative conversation. So there's the performance evenings, but there's also the art exhibition that's happening during the day. Hmm. Did you want to share anything about that? Um, Yeah, we often say that uh, we just don't take it in on the opening night and actually we, like, Katrina often says she likes, you know, volunteering for the three hours because you actually sit and you do actually put yourself down and allow yourself 20 minutes to look at something and read the description and even ask the artist about it, things like that. Um, like kind of the things we've just described. So yeah, opening up that space for people. Yeah, so don't forget about the actual art exhibition yes. part of Creative Conversations. Uh, so the much anticipated question four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what artworks that either you yourself or another artist uh, have created that have impacted you Um, that helped to lead you to think differently or challenged you to think of the world differently uh, or led you to take action? And I think we do have some pictures of some of your art, the Mm -hmm. artworks that have impacted you. Okay, Janet Lawrence recently had a whole exhibition, a whole series of um, talks and an exhibition at the MCA about nature. She's worked in this kind of um, deforestation, all sorts of issues with climate. And I'd gone with a couple of friends to one of the talks who were also artists. And Bob Brown was speaking as well. And Amanda Tattersall was running the whole thing. And we both, we all came out and just went, oh, shit, we're in huge trouble. You know, we are really in trouble with the whole climate thing. And kind of what can we do? And out of that, we've, um, I said, we're artists. We should make art. We should try and have an impact that way. Maybe we can help educate and get other people on board and so out of that is my next project where we're looking at seaweed and other things but yep so that's come out of Janet Lawrence but my other one if you and this is Janet Lawrence as well she collects specimens and does she's been working for a very long time and she's got you know into all sorts of interesting places with her work and she's quite amazing so click to the next one. Ah, now this was this was something that happened yesterday um, because I've started to look at the whole seaweed thing and discovered that I've been looking at the ghost nets which come from um, the Torres Straits, a little art centre called Erub. Erub, is that right? And they're just incredible. And you can see them in Sydney. I went down to the Maritime Museum and they bought a whole bunch of these beautiful works that are suspended from the ceiling. And it's so it was just amazing to walk in there and see them in the flesh and see they're made from 
um, ghost nets are nets that are kind of been left after fishing and things and they catch um, animals and they catch, well, they catch sea life and lots of plastic bags and all sorts of litter and they've been making them into these absolutely beautiful works of art that are so impressive. But also when I was down there, there was a museum guide talking, I meant to tell you this book, taking a bunch of school kids and I was just kind of listening in to the background and he was saying to them, you realise 60,000 years ago that this, you know, the people have lived here for a very long time and looked after this country and these are the same people, they're generations further down that are making this amazing artwork and trying to deal with all this climate change and the issues that we've got. So that was really profound. And then I've, I've got one more, which was actually part of Creative Conversation. These are two works. These are when I first met Helen, I was involved in that first Creative Conversations. And on the very first night, I was sitting by a young man called Troy, and he was a spoken word poet. So the first artwork was a poem that he wrote. He'd actually worked on Manus Island, and he had very close experience of everything terrible that was happening to asylum seekers. And so that first work is uh, an illustration of what his poem was about, which was absolutely beautiful. And the second work was actually even more powerful, and it was um, using a combination of digital and painting. So the figures are painted, but the background's digital. And this was, I met Farman, who's an asylum seeker who was on Manus Island. He's from Pakistan. And Troy introduced me to him. We've now become good friends and we keep in really good contact. And he came to my birthday last year and he's kind of part of the family too. But I'd gone to that asylum seeker's conversation and thought, I don't know, I don't even know an asylum seeker. So I'd gone with an open mind and an open heart and thought, I'm going to learn from this. And the creative conversation is just brilliant for that. So Farman, this is a picture of Farman with his cousin, and that's at Kutta in Pakistan. They were flying kites. Now the story behind the cousin is that they both fled from Pakistan. Um, they're, they're Hazaras, so they were in a minority religion and they were being per getting death threats. Farman was actually a statistician and a teacher and it was getting really hard to just get to work or do other things because he was getting threatened, all sorts of things were happening. So he felt he had no choice but to do the asylum seeker route because Pakistan's not listed as one of the countries that we take immigrants from. And so he actually did the whole thing going through people smugglers and getting stuck in Indonesia and then he and his cousin did it together and they got to Indonesia and they were sitting there for about a year trying to wait for UN approval and it just wasn't coming through, things weren't happening. Meanwhile his cousin's mum wasn't really well and he was an only child and he said I've got to go home, I'm not going to stay. So he actually took himself back and within three weeks he was murdered So, for his beliefs. So this is you know, really hard, horrible stuff that people don't come here thinking, you know, they want to come to a better life but they're fleeing something really terrible and that kind of totally hit home. So I actually gave Farman this work, it wasn't, and he loves it, he just said, I, you know, every day I'm thankful for that because it reminds me of my cousin and that was really great. And on the land work, I'm learning a lot about Aboriginal peoples and, I've, um, and other artists and Brooke in particular has been particularly helpful with helping me kind of work out the whole back of it and words and bits and pieces too. So it's just a great process.
and I'm really grateful that you set it up. Helen, it's brilliant. Thank you. Now I realise I've sort of not even answered question four. I've just gone off on some other track, but here, you know, here we are, whatever. Um, I was just going to share um, a few things. Um, so that piece that I showed you was called Homesick and I got um, the audience to, I made them stay afterwards to fill out these surveys about it, which was a, actually an awful thing to do to them, but I needed it for like my thesis, you know. Um, but it came out with some really great things um, that I felt like demonstrated what art can do. And there were different um, comments. One of them was, now I drive down well, this, someone sent it a few weeks later so they'd had time to think about it. Now I drive down the streets in a more mindful, aware way. I think again about the appalling names of creeks such as Burying Ground and all that unacknowledged history we gloss over. Um, and then people kind of... It, it seemed that people really felt more connected in with Armadale as a result of coming to the performance. So someone said, I, I feel as if I'm more part of the community. Someone else said... I've lived here for 30 years and now I realise it's my home. Someone else said, I felt value, valued and included. Um, and then someone else, I felt transported into my own precious environments, memories and connections. So, um, yeah, it kind of... I sort of started to realise the impact that it had had on people in that seeing their, you know, people who had um, migrated to Armadale kind of... Um, you know, they were connecting in with different parts of it, like, oh, I, yeah, that's, that's what I feel like, like Marie from Sweden, I have that sense of having two homes, or um, a lot of people um, from the Aboriginal community, the Anawan community, just kind of being thankful that this was happening, like, we had some Anawan language included in the piece as part of, like, the regeneration part of the narrative, and, um, yeah, people just being thankful that this was happening and that, that, you know, everyone's stories were kind of all given voice to and people having a broader perspective of what this community is and who we are. And yeah, so I just thought I'd share that. Uh, and I just picked a couple of works from the Creative Conversation series. Uh, one that really stayed with me was a monologue written by um, Alana Costner and it was performed by Rachel Dade and it was, the theme was about... Uh, in, in inequality for women globally, um, but it, it got quite personal in that she she started to talk about um, being taught self-defence in high school, and I I'd forgotten that, but I can still do the eyes, nose, throat, <laughs> going back off, <laughs> um, and uh, but then it yeah it got quite emotional because she was outlining the fact that it's 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 all put on women to learn to to stay safe. You know we have to think about keys and text messages and all that sort of thing. And then boys will be boys, is what people say. Uh, and it still stays with me, that sense of, oh, I think I internalise all, all of that, that I think it's my responsibility to stay safe and um, as a woman and that if I don't, I, I feel guilty. It's my fault, <coughs> you know? Um, and so that, that was very powerful. She, she cried as uh, she said that monologue. Um, and then... And others that have stayed with me, this piece was called Stuffication. Uh, it's by the company Strings Attached, and they just inflated this massive white um, being inside the chapel space um, and then did all sorts of things with it as they flew through the air and things. Um, but we were thinking about climate change. It was an exhibition for Earth Hour, and uh, it's just that image of that sense of... It's, 
we just get so caught up in what in stuffing ourselves with the things that we think that we need and ignoring what impact that's having on the rest of the planet. Um, so that just visually just has stayed with me and it challenges me. Um, and today when I looked at it again, just the word white privilege kind of mm. jumped in my mind, right? Um, that remembering that I, I sit in a privileged place in the world um, and I can get suffocated. <laughs> um, and then I actually bought one of these bunnies and it sits on my desk <laughs> And I was going to bring it, and I forgot. But um, do you remember Tony Abbott going, nope? People remember that around the silence skill debate. So this work is called Nope, Open, Hope, and it's bunnies running around in circles. Um, <laughs> and I bought one. I think I bought that one there at the front there, the black one that says, nope, 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 nope. And then there's these tiny white hopes pushing their way through. Uh, and for me, that connected with actually one of the speakers, so um, someone I knew who was on staff at this Arm Seeker Centre. Uh, we were talking about horrific things going on in people's lives as they sought asylum here in Australia, and she just spoke with this just persistent sense of hope and that there's got to be a better way and we'll find it. And um, I was really challenged by that because I felt despairing. Um, and so I, that bunny sits on my desk. Um, and I try and look at it daily and remember that amidst, amongst all the nopeness of, <laughs> of the world, um, I'm someone who's looking for that um, hope word. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so the next question was, if you could get our government or the peoples, because I believe that the power is in the peoples, uh, to take action to change the world or to change Australia, what are the top three injustices you think need addressing? <laughs> I think some of my responses have given me away already, so I'll just say them. So I think that <laughs> um, we need to ad address our true history with um, Aboriginal peoples mm. and we need a truth-telling commission and we need a treaty. Um, we need to welcome people who are seeking asylum and we need to think about climate action. But, I mean, I've kind of said that already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, same. Um, <laughs> but also I had like a more vague one which was about transparency um, about transparency transparency about what the government's actually doing what's happening to the spaces around us you know um, thing like I don't know if you look at Sydney like the overdevelopment like who's making who's allowing those things to, to happen and why isn't community being valued in that Where's public money going? Why are things being mm. privatised? Just, I think just general transparency because there's so much that's just... Things just seem to happen and suddenly some really important institution is lost or and we don't seem to know wh where that's coming from. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what we do about that because it's all a bit shady. Mm. I don't know. I, know? Thi I think... Um it's really important to have your eyes and ears and minds wide open and that's I think that's a really mm. yeah great response and you know from the Aboriginal justice perspective where we've got you know one of the injustices where this question came from is often when I do seminars on Aboriginal justice people ask me what are the top three injustices facing Aboriginal people oh gosh so that's why that quest this question's in here actually um and, uh, but one of those is the overrepresentation of Aboriginal people in the prison systems. Mm -hmm. And the governments are privatising our jails mm -hmm. and our prisons. And Australia doesn't realise, and we've got to wake up. Because if you look at the American model, it then leads into the court, and, you know, it's a horrendous thing that's happening. So, um, 
yeah, and obviously Helen, thank you for raising those three. They're also uh, key to my heart, as well as domestic and family violence. And there's a great organisation called Common Grace. <laughs> that. I didn't quite get the fourth one. <laughs> I talked about the, that one as well. But yeah. um, and for those of you that don't know Common Grace, I'm the Aboriginal spokesperson for Common Grace. Um, and uh, we focus on those four key injustices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander justice, uh, climate change and creation care justice, asylum seeker and refugee justice, and domestic and family violence justice. So, um, and how each of those intersect as well. So um, check out commongrace.org.au. Yeah. It's very similar, couched in a slightly different way, climate change and also to say we can learn a great deal from Aboriginal people's systems and practices and we, that's part of the truth telling and acknowledging that and using it and sharing it. Discrimination in its many forms, racism, refugee treatment, ageism, whatever, ism, homophobia, whatever it might be. Um, and inequality I thought was a big one. In housing, education and health we've got lots of glaring problems that need to be changed yeah. to be fair yeah. Yeah, and you. prison systems too should be in there yeah <laughs> and um, i started to write an essay and then yeah. thought, stop <laughs> that's right um and i think the inequality one is one that's really been challenging me this year uh and the lack of people's understanding about the inequality that exists in australia um and not yes. just between aboriginal peoples and non-indigenous peoples but for all peoples and um, yeah, I think that's a really important one too. Uh, the next question, maybe we've already asked it, but if any of you want to add anything, um, out of all of those injustices, um, how can art and artists play a role? Is there anything else you would want to add? Um, I think something I haven't necessarily said yet is that um, one of the things is to make an effort to really um, listen to marginalised voices amongst art makers. So, I mean, something beautiful that's happening, I think, all around the place at the moment is that we're hearing from more and more Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mm. artists in all the different sectors and to be aware of that and to make time for that and to listen. And, um, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's really important that we're hearing from people directly and the art makers directly um, was one thing I was going to say there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think... Uh, what I found is that um, for some reason I think um, people aren't able to kind of get excited about art making around climate action as much as some of the other stories because they find it harder to connect to the human story within that and so I think the artists can actually do some work there and take up that challenge and I think that's something that impacted me in our conversations around some of that was um, particularly hearing, seeing artists tell stories about Pacific Islanders and what mm -hmm. it means for our neighbours to be um, losing, literally losing land and home um, and the, the human impact of that, that the artists can play a role in telling those stories and humanising that issue. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Any other? Not really no, anything. Nothing yeah. powerful. Um, so we're about to head into open question time, so I hope you guys have got some questions as well. Uh, one final question that I had, um, and particularly because a lot of my time is spent with Christians, and I think in the Australian church uh, and Christians that art can sometimes be marginalised, but that's just my perspective. So I just wondered if um, you had any thoughts about how art 
how can art inspire Christians or any other comments on art and faith? How long have I got? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to start? Okay. Um, I think just by, similar to what I was saying before about creating creating an experience, but I think Christians often, or the church often, is the kind of um, way in is to go, oh, I need to uh, make a decision about what I think about this and take a a particular stance on Mm. a side of this issue. Like, which, what stance do I take? I must decide based on, you know, the Bible and, like, reason and logic. And I think it's going... I think artists can help with just helping people just connect to their spirit, connect to God, and, and be led that way and just becoming more human and more open to um, exp- yeah, experiencing what it might be like to be someone else and, and just, just changing who, who they are and how compassionate they are rather than going, oh, I'm, I'm going to decide this thing and I'm going to tell everyone that's what I think, you know, just going, no, I'm going to just listen and, and try and change my heart space around this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in terms of um, valuing the arts, some of it's about actually having a deeper understanding of the a theology of creativity that, you know, that we know that God created and we're created in God's image. Therefore, humans are created to be creative and that part of being um, redeemed and restored is actually a reawakening and, and restoring that um, image bearing in us that, that can create as God creates, um, but also that... Um, you know, that redemption is about new creation and that creativity plays a role in bringing about, um, yeah, the restoration of all creation. So for me, there's a, there's a, big, a big story that um, creativity is part of and so not to just see people who are, you know, investing in creativity as doing something um, on the margins and um, sort of, super, not superfluous, but like extra. Like, you know, if, if, we've got ex- if we've got extra in the budget, we can do that on the side. But to mm. actually see creativity as part of joining in God's mission in the world, to see redemption and renewal and restoration. Um, mm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so some really important messages for the <laughs> church and for Christians and uh, some challenges too. So thank you for that. Uh, so I think David's got a microphone for us for some questions from the audience. So in the media current, we have this really broad spectrum of um, the right kind of taking over what we see and the majority of Australia being quite racist um, and negative towards asylum seekers. Both parties are anti-asylum seekers and kind of, I want to say, anti-helping people and anti-helping Australia. So I guess my question is, how can art kind of fight against this violence we see in the media against people like Alan Jones who control what the majority of Australians hear? <laughs> I think um, this is quite a general kind of thing that I'm going to say. But I think that art can, like um, Helen said at the beginning, help with imagination mm. and imagining a different way that we can be. Um, so I think sometimes it, art can be used to sort of highlight a problem, but it can also be used to, um, to offer a solution um so yeah <laughs> that's very general but yeah i think um we're just breaking down prejudices by 
you know, presenting art about asylum seekers and just putting things, whatever the group might be. Yes. So that you're exposing people to more of it. And just yeah, humanising it, I guess. Meet, like, you know, as a way to meet the people behind the rhetoric. Yeah, and I think we have a huge challenge to sort of break open the echo, break through the echo chambers. And what I've noticed is sort of um, through these projects, we've been doing some of the grassroots conversations opening up. So, um, you know, someone's working on their, their project for this, on this theme, um, you know, and they find themselves in conversations with their family on the weekend at a barbecue about what they're up to at the moment. And um, they're not just you know, engaging with people that think like them, but they're, they're, they're starting to have conversations beyond that because they're engaging that process. But, um, but it's a huge challenge uh, mm. with those, you know, how do we get past the big, what, what's being said in the media and actually kind of engage people at a high level. Yeah, we have to ripple. We have to ripple. We've got to <laughs> spread out there. And we, you know, the more people that you talk to, and the more you, ex and art can be a way of doing that as well. When you've got involved people, and then you're sharing it, and it just keeps moving on. So, and it's it's very hard to hold a prejudice if you know a person <coughs> that you're holding the prejudice against. So, if you know if it was based on colour, or if it was based on culture, or if it's based on asylum seekers. Again, when you meet someone, it's really, really hard to hold a prejudice when you think, oh God, they're just like me. It's mm. just. And I, I know another thought is, let's do big, bold, provocative public art in public spaces that, mm. that'll get um, a photo in the paper and in the media. And there's some of, some of the ways that artists have actually got the media's attention is, um, I mean, you might've even watched the, um, the war on waste, the, yes. you know, the huge um, piles of clothes in the middle of um, Pitt Street Mall or the huge uh, bol balls of rubbish being rolled into people's politicians' offices and things like that. You know, it's like the artists can actually bring a lot of things that will get media attention if they can do it boldly and well, yeah. Forgive me, this isn't properly phased, phrased yet because I'm trying to draw together some of the many ideas. But one question I've got is how do you create that breath of pause which enables the effect of realising this is about the stolen generation and personalising that or which says I would have been stitching my quilt and worried about how much fire I had left for the scones or the this is where you are now and in this echo chamber and hype of social media how do I get you to talk to the person next to you? How do we, and inviting, like how do we get out of the oversaturation when no one has time and in this inequality when no one has enough money in Sydney? And blah, blah, blah. How do we, how do we redesign and how do we speak to that to open space for the gentleness and the reflection which must be in connection whether it be with art or people? See, that's fascinating because I think um, I've often wondered why there's often a crossover between people exploring contemplative practices and, and, and the arts, and perhaps what you've said is part of, part of why, um, that maybe we actually, as a culture, need to learn rhythms of contemplation, of meditation, of silence, of 
stillness um, of mm. um, connecting with land, going on, you know, being being in creation. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how we get that happening more broadly, but I think there's something there about um, for ourselves learning, um, actually re retraining ourselves to live, um, you know, radically different lives. Um, to push against the rhythms that are pushing us to um, do, 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 create, you know, um, produce, 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 buy, sell, etc. Do you mean within people's lives and society generally, how do people create space or within an artwork, how do you create that sense of space around it so when people are entering in? I think more about creating a society that lies where there's space to react to artwork. Yeah. Because you can control where your beautiful quilt hangs and how much space people have to walk around it, etc. Better public transport might help. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Give people more time, less time in traffic. would <laughs> <laughs> be good. Yeah, I think that... More funding for the arts. I just had to get that in there Yeah, somewhere. exactly. <laughs> I think, Hello. like, public, like, physical spaces help with, you know, internal spaces. And, yeah, more, I don't know, like, look at this, like, nice, big, open building. You know, it, within a cramped sort of cityscape, you come in here and you sort of have this sense of space. Like, how do we utilise public spaces more? Just thought. And that connects with like how a church is using their buildings is another thought in that, that we mm. have these sacred spaces often just used once on a Sunday. Um, mm. Yeah, one of the creative things about the Annandale Centre has been the church saying, well, what, can we actually create these sacred spaces for people to come and be and experience and engage? Because mm. yeah. it is like our culture is so kind of anti-sacred in a way, like what is sacred anymore? I don't, like even your own time, you know, just absorb into this chatter and I don't know how you sort of combat that, but yeah, I think like a resurgence of the sacred would be, would be good. <laughs> mm. And I guess that's sort of what art's trying to do, get mm. people out away from their screens and engaging with something different. Or it might still be engaging with screens in terms of sort of video art or other things, but yeah. So and and getting them to stay longer than that quick. Oh, no, that's not like the one that you were talking about, Brooke. Yeah. That people walk by, and sometimes that's kind of just not knowing how to engage with art too, or not thinking what is that. <laughs> but actually, just going a bit further. Yeah. And uh, I was just thinking of this um, artwork I helped host in at. Um, first week park it's at Circular Quay on the grass there that was actually a labyrinth like a spiral so like a labyrinth a spiral of um, hearts that people have made out of clay that represented the number of people on Manus Island at that point in time um, and so people were invited to walk the spiral and then when they got to the near the centre or the next one they unwrapped the heart and then brought out the cloth and wrote something on it as a message for people on Manus Island and hung them up I was amazed how many people actually stopped in the middle of their day to do that as they were mm. just walking past. So it was in, so kind of what you were saying before about art becoming more interactive and experiential. It's like it actually invited people into an experience that took time. Um, it's 
because it required something of them. <laughs> yeah, which is fascinating too. And if I can probably add one thing, it's about taking the personal responsibility. So in that empty Coolermans, and I saw the people coming in, I actually ran after some people and said, you need to come and stay. <laughs> and this is what this artwork is about. And this is its significance. And I think what triggered me, it was a dad with two young children. Um, and so it was seeing that next generation. I'm like, no, 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 wait, you, you've got to see this. Um, and then even personally... Uh, like supporting um, artists and purchasing artwork and um, particularly for me with Aboriginal Christian artists, I own a number. <laughs> I'm probably ready to start my own art gallery. Um, but theatre productions and, you know, what do I have in my personal means to support the arts as well? Um, I was just wondering, because obviously the art that you guys are producing... Um, they're all very sort of gutsy or like, like have you ever sort of created something and you were like oh, really scared of sharing it or like, oh, how are people are going to um, react to this or am I like, and, and maybe what would you, do you have any recommendations for other people who would like to do art to, yeah, I don't know, just give it a go. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, What that made me think of was the process of creating this homesick. Um, at first, I didn't know if I could actually do it, do this project because I'm not Aboriginal. And I was prepared, like I had to become prepared to just let go of this that whole thing if no Aboriginal people wanted to be involved. And I was lucky that they did, but I think that that fear um, can actually stop does actually stop people mm. from even entering into a conversation. And I think it can be, it's part of our, I think, you know, it sounds like you're being all, you know, like all correct in being like, no, I can't, I can't go near that. I'm not that kind of person. I think it's actually like a, a way of escaping. And, you know, it's part of our white privilege to be able to like, oh, do I, do I engage with this issue or not? And I think, I think it's like mm. trying to push through that. And you've got to navigate it well by listening and knowing if, what you're doing is welcome, but to not be deterred by your lack of experience of that thing if you're going to be, if you're committed to listening to other people. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. process and you've got to go through a whole process and work out what the rules are and sometimes you don't find that until you start. Like all those works that I was doing in Potts Point and when I wanted to show them at the library there were a number I'd already done and they were people I'd met at the park with my dog and I'd asked them verbally if it was okay if I took a photo and then created an artwork and then I turned up for the, started to plan for the library thing and they said no you've got to have written permission from everyone which was because, so a whole lot of artworks just had to get dismissed because they were people I'd just met totals, which was kind of nice because they were total strangers at the park and but they've said, you know, there was, someone had had a problem with an artwork being on a wall and in one of the libraries and the person who the artwork was about came in and recognised themselves and whoever the artist was didn't have permission to paint them. So there's all you start, you, I mean that's not typical but you do start to get more of that, especially now in this whole sort of digital age of phones being able to take pictures so quickly and things. So I was running around with consent, consent forms in my handbag from then on. I was like, <laughs> oh, well, can I take a picture with you? <laughs> She was a bit rough. But no, just do it. Just start making art. If you want to make art, just do it. 
you know, go and find some classes that you like and start to learn. I teach seniors classes and it's just, all that energy is just fantastic. And sometimes there's people who haven't made any art in their lives but they want to start making it now. And it's just like, generally we manage to send them home with something that's okay. And so you can, you know, you can collage and do other things and it's just a process. The more you do it, the better you get. And if you want to learn a particular skill, find the best person that can teach you and go and learn it. Because art's lovely. I love losing myself in art. Mm. It's great. I love getting into that zone where no meals get cooked and no washing does <laughs> Sorry, I'm busy. I was just thinking, Rika, what you said about sometimes it's not what you want to give is not welcome, like you're not well received. And um, it makes me think about what I might have, another thing I might have said earlier around the, you know, how should Christians view art. Um, I, think, I think of the word prophetic. I think that um, in the same way, um, being prophetic and well, kind of this idea that prophecy, good prophecy or, or, or movement of the spirit comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfortable. Um, that you know, if you're doing something prophetic, it's uncomfortable for those who are comfortable mm -hmm. um, and need some stirring up, and so that will get reactions that you might that are hard, and but it will also get reactions that from people who are like, yeah, there's more, this could be different. Um, and so, yeah, I think sort of owning that sense of if you want change, that's something that agitates and disturbs. And um, I think it's worth putting putting those things out there and actually agitating, yeah. Well, uh, thank you everyone. A special thank you to Helen Wright, Claire Wall and Mary Vandenberg. And uh, please do check out Creative Conversations. Um, as I look out in the audience, a few um, of you are also artists, and so may I encourage you to think about coming and joining Peace Talks, um, so that you know Peace Talks is another way for artists to engage in conversation um, as well. And we need you here at Peace Talks uh, also. And uh, yeah, just uh, thank you so much. And um, if you could all thank Helen, Claire, and Mary. Um, I do have a small gift for you each. Uh, and there's a thank you card that will come later. <laughs> Thanks, and something else. But uh, thank you very much. And um, please come and join us uh, for some drinks, tea, coffee and um, some supper. And uh, thank you everyone for coming. <laughs>